I'm Gerald Harmon. I'm president of the American Medical Association. Today, we're going to delve into the topic of COVID-19 therapeutics and recommended usage. It's an important step in our ability to better counsel our patients, answer their questions, and provide the most timely and relevant information on how to defeat this virus. There is some encouraging news. Advances in therapeutics are creating more ways to respond to the coronavirus. That's AMA president, Dr. Gerald Harmon. In this three-part series, Dr. Harmon is joined by experts from the FDA to discuss what prescribers need to know about COVID-19 therapeutic drugs. This episode is part of an AMA webinar series addressing the latest developments on COVID-19, including vaccinations, recent guidelines, and what physicians need to know. Thank you for inviting me to speak about what physicians need to know about Paxlovid. Most of what I'll be talking about is taken from the um, EUA fact sheet for Paxlovid and the EUA review for Paxlovid. So what is Paxlovid? Paxlovid is the combination product containing nermatrelvir co-administered with ritonavir. Nermatrelvir is a SARS-CoV-2 main protease inhibitor. It blocks the proteolytic cleavage of the polyprotein step of the SARS-CoV-2 replication cycle. Ritonavir is a cytochrome P450-3A inhibitor, which is included to increase nermatrovir plasma levels. Uh, Ritonavir at higher doses used to be used as an HIV-1 protease inhibitor, but ritonavir has no activity against SARS-CoV-2 on its own. So Paxlovid is dosed as two 150 milligram tablets of nermatrovir with one 100 milligram tablet of ritonavir orally twice a day for five days without regard to food and as soon as possible after COVID-19 diagnosis and within five days of symptom onset. Each carton contains five blister packs, one for each day as depicted on the right. Because dose reduction is needed for moderate renal impairment, each shipment of Paxlovid contains instructions for pharmacists on removing the excess nermatrovir tablets when filling prescriptions that specify the moderate renal impairment dose, as well as affixing stickers to the blister packs and carton to cover the dosing instructions with the dosing instructions for moderate renal impairment. So Paxlovid is authorized for the treatment of mild to moderate COVID-19 in adults and pediatric patients, 12 years of age and older, weighing at least 40 kilograms, with positive results of direct SARS-CoV-2 viral testing and who are at high risk for progression to severe COVID-19, including hospitalization or death. Now for the conditions um, which make a patient fall under high risk, uh, we refer to the CDC website for information on medical conditions and factors associated with increased risk for progression uh, to severe COVID-19. And this is updated uh, as data accrue. Uh, For the different severities of COVID-19 illness, these are described in the NIH COVID-19 treatment guidelines, but in general, COVID-19 is mild to moderate if the patient has symptomatic SARS-CoV-2 illness, but their oxygen saturation does not drop below 94% on room air. And typically, mild to moderate COVID-19 does not require hospitalization for management. I want to note here that the EUA does not specify any particular type of direct SARS-CoV-2 viral test. For the limitations of authorized use, Paxlovid is not authorized for initiation of treatment in patients requiring hospitalization due to severe or critical COVID-19. Now we deliberately worded the limitation in this way to allow use in hospitalized patients in several situations. The first depicted by the footnote, 
is for patients who have mild to moderate COVID-19 and are started on treatment and then they clinically worsen and require hospitalization due to severe critical COVID-19. And in that situation, the full five-day treatment course can be completed per the healthcare provider's discretion. The second scenario is if you have a patient with mild to moderate COVID-19 and they are hospitalized either for unrelated reasons or because their healthcare provider wants additional monitoring, for example, for drug-drug interactions. And in that case, the EUA allows for initiation of treatment for mild to moderate COVID-19 in patients in the hospital. Paxlovid is not authorized for use as pre-exposure or post-exposure prophylaxis for prevention of COVID-19, and it's not authorized for use for longer than five consecutive days. So data supporting the EUA comes from EPIC-HR, which is a phase 2-3 double-blind study in over 2,000 non-hospitalized symptomatic adults with a laboratory-confirmed SARS-CoV-2 infection who are randomized one-to-one -to, -one to receive Paxlovid or placebo for five days. The study population was enrolled within five days of symptom onset and had at least one risk factor for progression to severe disease. The population also had no prior COVID-19 vaccine receipt or prior COVID-19 infection, and 98% of SARS-CoV-2 variants identified in EPIC-HR were Delta. The efficacy data for the primary endpoint of COVID-19-related hospitalization or death from any cause through day 28 in the subpopulation who were dosed within five days of symptom onset and who did not receive COVID-19 monoclonal antibody treatment at baseline. And eight of the Paxlovid recipients, or 0.8%, versus 66 of the placebo recipients, or 6.3%, met the primary endpoint. And this translates to an absolute risk reduction of 5.6% and a relative risk reduction of 88% with use of Paxlovid, which is highly statistically significant. There were no deaths in the Paxlovid group compared to 12 deaths in the placebo group. The treatment effect was generally consistent across subgroups, including baseline serology status, meaning that patients who were seropositive for SARS-CoV-2 at baseline, even though overall they were less likely to be hospitalized or to die, also had a positive treatment effect with Paxlovid. So the only adverse events that were seen in at least 1% of Paxlovid recipients with a higher frequency, meaning at least a five subject difference versus placebo recipients were dyskusia, generally described as metallic taste, diarrhea, hypertension, and myalgia. Of note though, the study population excluded children, pregnant women, individuals with GFR less than 45, individuals with active liver disease, and individuals taking medications that could have clinically significant interactions with Paxlovid. Paxlovid has a lot of drug interactions. Paxlovid is a CYP3A inhibitor and is also metabolized by CYP3A. This means that Paxlovid may increase plasma concentrations of medications metabolized by CYP3A, which may lead to clinically significant adverse reactions, including fatal events from greater exposures of concomitant medications. In addition, Medications that inhibit or induce CYP3A may increase or decrease Paxlovid concentrations, which could lead to loss of therapeutic effect of Paxlovid and possible viral resistance from decreased Paxlovid exposures. So as a healthcare provider, you should inform patients that Paxlovid may interact with some drugs and is contraindicated for use with some drugs. Obtain a complete medication list from your patient, including non-prescription drugs and herbals, 
check for clinically significant drug interactions, and based on the drug interactions, decide if Paxlovid use is appropriate versus an alternative authorized treatment, and if appropriate, whether your patient should hold, change, or dose reduce other medications while taking Paxlovid, or if additional monitoring may be needed. Medicine doesn't stand still, and at the AMA, neither do we. AMA members are physicians like you who are shaping the future of medicine. Become a member today and join the movement. Visit ama-assn.org slash movingmedicine. So what you should do in specific situations for drug interactions depends not just on characteristics of the interacting medications, such as half-life, but also patient-specific factors. For example, depending on the individual patient and condition, some patients may be able to hold a medication with drug interactions while taking Paxlovid, while that may not be safe for other patients. However, we did give specific instructions in the fact sheet where we could, including for the following three scenarios. So if you have a patient who is on a ritonavir or cobacystat containing HIV antiretroviral regimen, the thought process is that the CYP3A inhibition is already close to maximal, both in Paxlovid and for the HIV regimen. So these patients can take Paxlovid without a dose adjustment, and they can also continue their HIV regimen without change as well. For patients on simvastatin or lovastatin, which are contraindicated, we recognize that these are very commonly used medications and also that generally there are not serious clinical consequences from holding these medications for a week. So as simvastatin and lovastatin have short half-lives, Paxlovid can be started 12 hours after the last simvastatin or lovastatin dose if these medications are then held through about one to two days after completing Paxlovid. For patients on contraindicated CYP3A inducers, including phenytoin, phenobarbital, or carbamazepine, these drugs have long half-lives and so cannot be stopped in order to take Paxlovid. Unfortunately, the, the washout period is so long that by the time you've, you've held them for long enough, the five-day window uh, from symptom onset to treat with Paxlovid would be over. So patients on these drugs should not take Paxlovid and should instead use alternative authorized or approved treatments for COVID-19. So patients with moderate renal impairment need a dose adjustment and Paxlovid is not recommended for patients with severe renal impairment. We have the GFRs for the different categories of renal impairment and the different Paxlovid doses, or if it's not recommended, the statement that it's not recommended. So as a healthcare provider, you should determine the appropriate Paxlovid dose for your patient, specify the numeric dose of each active ingredient, nermatrovir and ritonavir, in the Paxlovid prescription for all of your patients, even those with normal renal function, and then counsel patients with moderate renal impairment about renal dosing instructions and inform them that the blister cards will be altered by the pharmacist to remove unneeded tablets. So in terms of other specific populations, no dosage adjustment is needed for mild or moderate hepatic impairment, but Paxlovid is not recommended for severe hepatic impairment due to lack of pharmacokinetic and safety data for nematrovir or ritonavir in that population. There are no available clinical data on Paxlovid in pregnancy or with breastfeeding. However, in animal studies, reduced fetal body weights were seen at about tenfold higher nematrovir exposures than what we'd expect to see with the authorized dose in humans. 
and there were no other adverse developmental effects seen. There are no available clinical data for Paxlovid in children. However, the authorized adult dose is expected to result in comparable serum exposures in patients 12 years of age and older and weighing at least 40 kilograms, which is the reason that the authorization was expanded to include the adolescent population. So what about Omicron? So biochemical and cell culture data indicate that nervatrovir retains activity against the Omicron variant. So Paxlovid should work against Omicron. However, there are no clinical data yet available for Paxlovid in patients infected with Omicron. Uh, EPIC-HR, the trial I discussed that supported the EUA, enrolled between July and November 5th, 2021, which was before the emergence of Omicron. However, there are several studies underway right now, and so hopefully we will get some data on this in the future. Other common questions that we've heard about Paxlovid include the following. So how can you obtain Paxlovid for an eligible patient? A prescription is needed from a physician, advanced practice registered nurse, or physician assistant authorized under state law to prescribe drugs, just like it would be for any prescription drug. And a COVID-19 therapeutic locator website can help identify distribution locations by state. Um, and again, this would vary by state because the states are in charge of distributing the supply. Can Paxlova be taken by individuals who are vaccinated or who receive the monoclonal antibody product Evusheld for pre-exposure prophylaxis? Yes, Paxlovid may be used regardless of COVID-19 vaccination status or prior monoclonal antibody use under EUA. And likewise, Paxlovid use would not impact the timing of future vaccine doses. We do have a small amount of data from EPIC-HR in patients who received monoclonal antibody products with Paxlovid and no safety concerns were identified. Another common question is whether Paxlovid can be taken with other authorized COVID-19 treatments. And while the EUA does not prohibit this, there are no data on whether taking an additional treatment with Paxlovid would provide any additional benefit. And we all know about the current short situations with some of these drugs. So in summary, Paxlovid was authorized in December for the treatment of mild to moderate COVID-19 in adults and pediatric patients, 12 years of age and older and weighing at least 40 kilograms who are at high risk for progression to severe COVID-19. Paxlovid reduced COVID-19-related hospitalization and death by 88% when given within five days of symptom onset without concerning safety findings in the clinical trial EPIC-HR. And key things to remember when prescribing are the multiple drug interactions, the reduced dose for moderate renal impairment, and that patients with severe renal impairment or severe hepatic impairment, um, currently Paxlovid is not recommended for them. Thank you. You can subscribe to the COVID-19 Update and other great AMA podcasts anywhere you listen to yours or visit ama-assn.org slash podcasts. Thanks for listening.